Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today, we're discussing the world's most famous writer of detective fiction, Agatha Christie. Joining me is Scott Wallace Baker from Victoria in Australia, and Scott is an avid collector of Agatha Christie books and also of almost any other kind of object associated with the author. Scott has been proclaimed Australia's biggest Agatha Christie fan. Welcome, Scott. Let's begin. Uh, would it be correct to say that you are a super fan of Agatha Christie? I would definitely say that's correct. I'm not sure how I feel about the term, but it's certainly true that uh, I, I am. Well, I constantly think about Agatha Christie and her books and her movies. Um, I'm obsessed. It, it's true. Uh, just last year I was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum and we tend to be obsessed by particular things. Um, unfortunately in my case it's not something like space that I could actually use for a career but um, we just have to deal with what what we're given so in my case I'm obsessed by Agatha Christie. Perhaps you can describe what your book collection looks like. Uh, well it's it's a bit bit hard to describe what it looks like because it's scattered all over the house. Um, I do have uh, probably five or six complete um, editions of her works um, so every now and then uh, there'll be a, a new one that will be released uh, perhaps by the Folio Society or Waterstones um, and uh, I think, oh, that's beautiful. I'll have to get that. Um, but also, uh, I've collected sets of her books that have been released in the past. Um, so there's been a, a couple of full sets. Um, there's the Heron books. Um, and uh, there's another publisher whose name I can't think of at the moment, but uh, they brought out a lovely set of books, three novels to a book, um, and, and I've got a set of those in, in lovely condition. Um, I've also tried to collect some first editions. Um, the really early ones are very expensive, but I did recently acquire a first edition of Styles, The Mysterious Affair at Styles, and I'm thrilled with that. I know the English edition was not the first. It came out in the US a year earlier, but uh, what I love about the English edition is that there's a spelling mistake in it. Um, the word Coco is spelt C-O-C-O, -C -O, and uh, all of Agatha's fans said to, uh, friends said to her, well, Agatha, you never were a good speller, and she thought that that was most unfair because it wasn't her fault. It was the, the lady editor who insisted that that's the way you spell Coco. And, um, oh, and of course, the paperbacks, the paperbacks from the 60s and 70s, they were probably um, close to being what started it all for me. Um, those amazing Tom Adams uh, covers that he did for Fontana and also for Pocket Books in America. They're absolutely uh, stunning. I, I love his art. Um, I was 
certainly obsessed by his covers when I started reading Agatha Christie's books when I was in high school. Um, and back then, I could never have imagined that I would one day own five of his original paintings and also meet Tom and his lovely wife Georgie and uh, count them as as friends. So uh, it's amazing the way things work out. What other objects do you collect? Uh, well, um, uh, quite quite a few uh, different things. If I'm reading uh, one of her novels and I, I uh, come across a description of a particular object that has something to do with the plot and if it happens to be something that we don't know much about in this day and age that will especially attract me. Um, it's so much easier with the internet to do this kind of thing but I'll research what it is um, and see if I can obtain one for my collection. Uh, of course when Agatha Christie was writing she was writing for contemporary audience and really had very little idea that her books would still be talked about a hundred years later so uh, when she's described an object it's usually described very briefly because of course she was writing for a contemporary audience. Yes, one of the earliest ones that I thought about and, and thought I must uh, try and obtain one of those is from the novel Sad Cypress. She talks about um, tubes of morphine and I got to thinking well, what, what does a tube of morphine look like? And uh, of course, being a drug, I, I never really thought that you'd be able to obtain one, but um, there are certainly things like that able to be purchased on eBay, for example, um, and quite often they'll be empty, or if they're not completely empty, the drugs are probably not any use anymore. So um, that, uh, that sparked my interest, certainly. Um, finding out well, what does a tube of morphine look like um, because in this particular story one goes missing and it's mentioned that perhaps the nurse has put it down on a table and it's rolled uh, onto the floor or behind um, a piece of furniture. How did it all begin for you? Well it really started a few years before that uh, when Witness for the Prosecution the 1957 film with Marlene Dietrich uh, was going to be the weekend midday movie and my dad encouraged me to watch it and said it was very dramatic so uh, I watched it I, I think I was only about nine or ten and um, quite possibly I didn't altogether understand it but from there I was um, that's where the obsession grew uh, so um, I think I can blame my dad for that, for this obsession. Um, and from there, I know in my parents' bookcase, they had the recently published Curtain, Poirot's Last Case, and also the last book Agatha Christie wrote, uh, Postern of Fate. So I, I must have read those as well. I'm not sure which one I read first. I suspect it might have been Curtain, which is really not a good place to start because it's Poirot's last 
novel. Um, and Poston of Fate, if that was the one that I read first, that's not a good place to start either because it's really not very good. Um, there, there are some charming things in it, a lot of nostalgia about Agatha Christie's own childhood, but as a detective novel, it's it's not very good, and you can certainly tell that her um, creative powers were um, abandoning her, unfortunately. How do you keep your interest going in Agatha Christie? Uh, well, I like to read them again, uh, so I do keep rereading them, and there's always something new that uh, you notice. Uh, also, uh, recently I reread some of uh, the novels that are not considered to be very good. Another one is Passenger to Frankfurt, and I read that again, and I actually got a new um, appreciation for it. Um, the other thing that helps keep the interest alive is the adaptations. It seems that uh, the books are always being uh, translated to film and appear on television. And even if I don't altogether agree with what the screenwriter has done or the director has done, it's always very interesting. What do you think is Christie's best book? I might not give you the same answer as the consensus. Um, my personal favourite is Death on the Nile. I just think it's a wonderful book. It's got everything, the plot, uh, and of course her plots are, are what she's famous for. The plot is, uh, it's wonderful, uh, but the characters as well. Agatha Christie often gets criticised for having uh, basically Cluedo characters, and I couldn't, um, I couldn't disagree with that more. Uh, I think quite often uh, in her novels, there's real depth there in the characterization. Um, another book that um, I know John Curran, who, who wrote uh, some books recently based on his findings when he was given access to her secret notebooks where she jotted uh, in point form ideas for plots. Um, he, he wrote some books based on, on uh, those findings. Uh, his personal favourite is Five Little Pigs and the characterization in that is it's it's terrific. Um, the whole idea of it too, um, having five people who were there at the time uh, write from their own view viewpoint uh, the way they saw what happened. It's, it's so interesting. You, you think that that might be boring seeing um, the uh, things that happen five times or reading about it five times, but it's not. It's so interesting. Uh, it says so much about the character themselves, what they choose to write. Um, so that that's a fascinating book too. And you certainly couldn't say that those characters are uh, cardboard cutouts. Because her plots have been parodied so many times, it must be difficult for people to understand her legacy. That's a very good point, actually, because nowadays... Uh, people might say, oh, that's so cliché. Well, 
when she came up with the idea, it wasn't a cliche. Um, it seems like the ideas that she had, they were groundbreaking. Um, nowadays, uh, a device of writers that is used so frequently is um, the uh, narrator that can't be trusted. Uh, now, she basically came up with that idea. Um, I won't say which book it is, or, or books, because before uh, she used it um, uh, completely in one novel, it, it was tried out in, a, in an earlier novel. So I won't mention those novels' names, but The Unreliable Narrator, it is a cliché now. But uh, as I say, when she um, started writing, it wasn't. Um, people often say, uh, the butler did it. Well, um, <laughs> not in Agatha Christie. Um, there is one novel where the butler technically did do it, but he wasn't really a butler. So um, you can't really uh, count that. How do people react when you explain your intense interest in Agatha Christie? Certainly I do get some interesting looks. Um, then from other people there can be a lot of interest. Um, in one of my previous jobs I worked with a lot of young people and it really saddened me to see that, that uh, there are young people out there that have no idea who Agatha Christie is. Um, it is such a shame and I know the um, estate, Agatha Christie Limited, they are trying to do new things to create awareness. Um, and it wasn't until then, until I worked in that office with, with so many young people, that I realised what a problem it, it really is. Um, so the, the things that they, they're trying to do, some of them work and some of them in my opinion, are not such good ideas, but they've got to try something. Uh, otherwise, her legacy is going to die out, and that, that will be a real shame. Have you visited any places associated with Agatha Christie? Yes, uh, I, I have. My first one was in 2007, uh, where I did travel right around the UK and uh, visited her birthplace, which is Torquay, which is a beautiful spot, uh, and also um, Newlands Corner, where her car was found abandoned when she had her famous disappearance in 1926, uh, and also um, Harrogate, where she was finally located 11 days later. Uh, so yes, I, I did that in 2007, and I've also been to the Agatha Christie Festival in Torquay four times. Um, it's great fun. Do people go in costume? There are some people that go in costume, yes. Um, and then there's me. Um, I don't actually call what I wear costume at all because it's, it's basically what I wear every day. Um, but... Uh, I just like uh, clothes from that era. Um, Smoking jackets? Things like that, dressing gowns, um, 
nothing can beat white tie and tails for dinner. Um, yes. Yes, I, I love colourful waistcoats too. A second ago, you mentioned Agatha Christie's disappearance. Do you have a theory about what happened? It's, it's hard to say because you hear so many different things and there's been books published on the subject and I tend to take those with a, a grain of salt. Um, certainly at the time she wasn't coping very well. Uh, her mother had passed away and they were very, very close. Um, it, it was left to her uh, solely to turn out her childhood home. Uh, to sort through everything and decide what was going to be kept, what was going to be given away. Um, and while she was doing that task, which can't have been pleasant, her husband turned up and they were meant to go on holiday to the Canary Islands the next day. And instead he said, I'm in love with someone else and I want a divorce. And that was just brutal. Her, her mother actually warned her about Archie and and said he he is brutal and quite early on in their marriage he told her uh, that he can't stand illness or unhappiness um, so he's a very selfish person uh, imagine being married to someone who can't stand you being unhappy or being sick um, it 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 defies belief really so um, yeah, he was a very selfish and brutal person. So um, I think that was very bad timing on his part. And uh, they tried to make things work to a degree for a, a, about six months after that. And this particular date in December, she obviously wasn't coping. Her husband had gone away for the weekend to stay with friends and, and was obviously there to see his mistress and um, she, uh, Agatha Christie, um, left a note. It sounds like she had a breakdown. A breakdown, yes, yes, certainly, certainly. Um, as to what happened from there, it's pure guesswork. There, there is um, some theory that said that she drove off with the intention of committing suicide. Um, but who can say? Um, she was quite a devout person and um, if that was her intention perhaps she realised that that would be a very wicked thing to do and, and so that stopped her from carrying it out. Um, but somehow she ended up in Harrogate, um, checked into the hotel there uh, under the surname of her husband's mistress. Um, the, the official um, word is that she was suffering from amnesia, but whether or not the circumstances, the evidence um, shows that, it's very hard to say. Um, because apparently if you suffer from amnesia, you don't usually take on someone else's um, identity. Um, you're too busy trying to remember who you are. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if she just wanted to get away from it all. And she wasn't 
the huge uh, name uh, that she is now at the time, so perhaps she had no idea that it would create so much interest with the public and the media. Um, and when it did, it's very hard to say, oh, everyone, I'm here, I'm safe. So I think she just basically waited until it all blew over. Um, and she was a very shy person too, so it would have been very difficult to, to um, basically come out and say, um, I'm here, everything's fine. It sounds like you're also very interested in Christie's life. Yeah, absolutely. W one of the books uh, that I've recently purchased, it's yet to arrive, but um, it's a signed first edition of uh, one of her autobiographical works, Come Tell Me How You Live, which is basically um, from her viewpoint of what life on an archaeological dig was like. And it's a fascinating book, um, so I can't wait to get that first edition in my hands. Do you enjoy novels from other writers of detective fiction? Uh, enjoys a, a good word. Um, I do. Um, I do dabble a little bit, but I'm usually a bit disappointed. Um, no one else seems to write the way she did. No one, uh, from from my viewpoint, has been able to do what she managed to achieve, and that is to give you a twist ending uh, that completely holds water, that you should have seen from the very beginning, and yet you don't, and that is her skill as a writer, that you don't. Um, if you um, then pick up the book and read it again from the start, you'll see all the things that you missed that you really shouldn't have but you do because she's so skilled as a writer. Is there an Agatha Christie object that you really want to own? Uh, there is. There's something that actually slipped through my fingers and I kick myself. Um, about 10 years ago on eBay, um, a painted portrait of Maggie Smith as she appears in the film Evil Under the Sun came up on eBay and I thought at the time I can't really justify 500 pounds so I didn't bid um, and I kick myself every day. Um, I, I do like the movie, it's not that much like the book although the basic plot is there. Um, the movie is quite fun but uh, this portrait of um, Maggie Smith is based on one that Augustus John did of the Marchesa Cassati, who's also a very fascinating person. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely painting. And it's just such a shame that I thought at the time I couldn't afford it. Um, collectors, of course, do have that problem. Um, whether or not they can afford things, but true collectors somehow make it work. Um, I suppose that was quite early on in my collecting uh, that that came up, and I've since uh, learned that most things are achievable if you just juggle a little bit. So, um, 
yeah, it is a shame. It is a shame. Augustus John is also interesting from the viewpoint that there's a possibility that the murder victim in Five Little Pigs may have been somewhat based on, on him and his life. So uh, it has that connection as well. Do you have one object that you particularly prize? There, there is uh, the murder weapon in Mrs. McGinty's Dead. It's a Middle Eastern sugar hammer. And What's a sugar hammer? Good question. It's um, a little bit like a tomahawk, except the blade goes the other way. Um, it's at right angles to a tomahawk blade. Um, but it's a little bit like that, but it's usually quite decorative. Um, they're they're uh, a bit ornamental. I'm not terribly sure what they were used for originally, whether they were used to cut sugar cane or whether they were used to cut uh, the sugar once it had been made into sugar. I, I, I couldn't tell you that, I'm afraid. But um, the ornamental uh, side of things, they will uh, quite often have a little bird on them or a goat's head and they'll have jewels uh, like turquoise or um, red coral um, uh, decorating the handle and also being used for the bird or the, the goat uh, eyes. Um, so I was quite determined to try and obtain one for my collection and we started looking at our first stop which was Dubai and had no luck there. Uh, and then we happened to be in Venice next, so I asked at a Persian dealer, Persian art dealer, um, in uh, Venice. Now he didn't have one, but he said, when you go to London, go and visit the big antique, antiques place there in London. Um, he gave me a general idea of where it was, but he said, just ask the fruit seller on the footpath. I presume you mean Portobello Road. It, it wasn't. It wasn't actually. No, it's um, Gray's Antiques, which is a big, okay. big um, warehouse with lots of different antiques dealers. Um, now, apparently, had I gone to Portobello Road, I would have found them there as well. But uh, we weren't going to be in London on a Saturday, so that uh, wasn't going to be possible. But yeah, we had a good hunt around at, at Gray's and um, because they are separate dealers, you can't just ask one person. You basically have to ask around uh, until you uh, get lucky. But um, yeah, there, there I managed to find one. What happened after that is uh, we then got the Eurostar to Paris which was all fine, but coming back, um, of course, all luggage is considered hand luggage on the Eurostar. And uh, so we checked our bags in and they're on the conveyor belt. And then all of a sudden the conveyor belt stops and I'm tapped on the shoulder. What is this in your bag? What is it used for? Where did you get it? Etc. Etc. And I explained, uh, oh, I'm I'm a collector, I collect things associated with Agatha Christie and, and this is a Middle Eastern sugar hammer and it was in one of her books and I stopped myself just before I revealed he was the murder weapon. 
One final question. What book are you reading now? Well, uh, I don't know if it counts as a book, but I'm reading The Mousetrap. And the reason why I'm reading it, because naturally I've read it before and I've seen it on stage probably five times, uh, three times in London and, and uh, uh, twice here in Australia, one professional, one amateur production. I'm reading it because I've been cast and I've got to learn my lines. I'm going to be playing the eccentric Italian Paravagini. So um, that is a, a nice surprise. Um, I only went along to the audition because I thought, oh, that would be fun. And I never imagined that I was going to be cast. So um, I have to learn my lines now. That sounds excellent. What an appropriate book. Yes, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm, I'm naturally a very shy person, which no one ever believes when I say that. Um, but, but I am. It's just that you get to the, the stage in your life when you realize being shy doesn't get you anywhere. And you have to try and overcome it. Otherwise, you just deal with regrets. So I'm naturally shy. Um, I do also suffer from anxiety but what makes this a bit easier, I think, is the fact that it's not going to be you on stage. It's not going to be you, the audience is watching. They're going to be watching this, this character who might have a little bit in common with you, but is, is otherwise a very different person. So that's what I'm going to hold on to, and uh, hopefully the, the nerves can be dealt with um, if I keep that in mind. Um, it, you do say that it's appropriate um, reading, but here in Australia, yesterday we had 42 degree day. That's 42 degrees Celsius. So we're in the height of summer at the moment. So it's, it's very um, strange to read about um, a manor house that's snowbound. Um, it's the kind of thing that we don't really get much of here in Australia anyway, except in the snowfields, um, but definitely not at the height of summer. So that's all we have time for this week. A huge thank you to Scott Wallace Baker for joining us. Good luck with the production. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis from Abe Books, and we'll see you next time.